This is Truth Encounter, and today we want to continue the discussion we began last week on true love. Our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wurtzen, begins today clarifying the distinction between pride and love. True love doesn't boast. It's not a male ego trip or a, or a female ego trip about your catch. So whenever you find yourself thinking of male-female relationship in terms of hunting, in terms of catching, in terms of getting, and think of all the terminology we use to express all that kind of idea, it's about pride. It's not about love. It's about insecurity and pride that's in our heart. And Paul comes with it and says, when you find yourself not acting like that, able to be humble, when you find yourself acting out humility, then you're in this circle of love. It says love is not rude. In other words, love does not behave in an unseemly way. It's not self-seeking. Well, those are really strong words, especially when it comes to sexual relationships. You see, a young couple starts to come together, and they start to be attracted to one another, and the Bible does recognize that there's tremendous forces that begin to, 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 to interplay between them. And so they want to express those physical things, and they begin to really get involved in a lot of physical contact. And our society just takes that all for granted. You know, that's just the way that things are. And so, you know, you have two teenagers sitting in the living room by a nice warm fire, and they're doing just about everything except taking off all their clothes. And mom and dad, you know, they've kind of disappeared because they're a little bit embarrassed about all this that's going on. And the couple feels like, if I were to ask a couple like that, especially right, at the, you know, right when they're really, really heating up with a fire, if I say, are you guys in love? They go, oh, yeah, I'm in love. I mean, I've never been more in love in my whole life. Because that's what our society says. I mean, that's what happens in the movies. You know, that's what happens. In fact, the, a lot of the adult generation has already given up on you guys. They says, man, we couldn't control our passions. You're not going to be able to control yours. Love is what makes the world go around. That's all there is to it. Paul says, no. Paul says, if you haven't made a public commitment, guy, that you're going to be with that girl, you're going to be with her when she gets the flu and she vomits all over the place, you're going to be with him when he cracks up your brand new car, which I did early in our marriage, and Mary just about killed me, the maddest I've ever seen her get, just about. You see, until you've made a public commitment before your mom and dad, where you have signed in the dotted line, I'm going to be with you for a lifetime. When you get that physically involved and you feel so much pull, you're not talking about love. You are talking about chemicals and you are talking about tremendous animal passion. You're not talking about love. You know why? You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because Paul says that true love will never do something that's unseemly. Girls, if you really want to know that a guy loves you, the guy that loves you, and, and it's even coming out popularly. You read books now, even underneath all this modern stuff about animals and everything else, more and more, more and more, there's this idea, the one that you really love it's the one you don't mess around with. Not until you've made the public legal commitment of a marriage ceremony. Even that'll come out in some of the strangest places. 
You know, you'll be watching a movie and it'll be filled with immorality, but in the end of the story, the guy's got to marry a woman that was true blue. And I always scratch my head at those stories that says, you know, the guy messes around through a whole movie, and at the end of the movie, it's all resolved because now he's going to be committed to someone that was really going to be faithful to him. How does that all work? Well, if the forgiveness of Calvary entered in, that could work. God could put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But if there's no real recognition that, man, we need to escape just acting in an unseemly way. And I would just challenge our young people. I would pray that we would. I, I'm just not going to sell you guys out. I'm not going to say, well, I grew up in the 60s and, you know, everybody, you know, took drugs and got involved in sexual immorality, so we're just going to throw you through a few preventatives and hope you don't get AIDS. The best way not to get AIDS is to recognize what true love is. True love never acts in an unseemly way. True love is in a circle of control. True love makes really strong decisions in a dating relationship, not to be in certain places at certain times with certain people. True love makes some really strong commitments that in the end produce beautiful results because true love does not act in an unseemly way. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Boy, that's an important definition of love. Boy, that's the thing that I think that's just the opposite of love. Like when a wife gives her husband the silent treatment. Some of you wives, some of you husbands, do you get angry? And the way that you express your anger, you don't just reach out and just slug somebody. You're just quiet. You just won't talk. You just won't relate. And you just tank that anger. Really important not to do that. Because love doesn't tank anger. The, Paul goes on to say it doesn't keep a record of things that are wrong. I would say that's the number one reason. I've told you that over and over again. The number one reason why marriages fall apart is because of record books of wrongs. And all you need to do is to get in a fight. And any marriage counselor will tell you, what you do in marital counseling is you spend hour after hour opening up the marital book of records of wrong. And you try to get them to state the wrong, Work it through to be able to find the forgiveness of Jesus in that and then be able to go on. And if you have a great big book, because year after year you tank those wrongs and you're not acting in love, you're acting in self-seeking and pride. And I want to stress, it's so hard to break those habits. It's so hard to get over that inertia that keeps you from saying, I'm sorry, or you hurt me. I am hurt. This is why I am hurt. It's so much easier just to be silent. But love doesn't do that. Love has the inertia to overcome that through the power of God, and it expresses anger when it occurs in a legitimate way. It's able to talk about misunderstandings. It's able to deal with hurts, and then the book is thrown away because there can be forgiveness. That's true love. And that's where we build relationships that last for a lifetime. Love never delights in evil. It always rejoices in the truth. Love is a thing that will endure. It protects us. It's something that enables us to believe. And that's to believe in Christ and all that he said. Love is what gives us hope and it perseveres. And that's what I covet for every one of you. I want every one of you to be able to relate to one another. Agape love doesn't just relate to sexual love. 
But agape love relates to the relationships that you control. Every one of us, my biggest circle of love needs to be 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. It needs to apply when I'm coaching on a basketball court. And I need to remember that love is patient, it's kind, it's not easily provoked. But agape love needs to be the circle that controls I can do that with Mary. There's strategic times when as a man I know in my soul, David, you cannot say that. You bite your tongue. And in a married life, agape love learns to be patient. You don't say certain things. In a, in a relationship between a, a, male and, a man and a woman in high school, to learn how to, how to act in this circle of love towards one another. And yet it will still work. God's big circle of love needs to be the entrance door. What I want you to think of in all your loving relationships, you always begin in relationships with self-sacrificial love. You always begin with a, with a love that centers in the will. And this agape love, there can be tremendous passions, there can be tremendous desires, and agape love will say, no, it's not what God wants from me. Agape love has a strong will in Christ that comes directly from him. It focuses on decisions. It focuses on what's going to bring the ultimate results. That's a kind of, of self-sacrifice and love for one another that God wants us to have. Now, there's another circle of love. And as we move in into the circle of self-sacrificial love, as we move into that and we begin to relate to one another, the Lord is going to bring to us into close relationship with a smaller circle of people. Right in the Lord's ministry, like it says, for God so what? Tell me. For God so loved the world. For God so agape the world. If I were to say Jesus agape the world, that's true. But you know what? Jesus ministered to a great multitude. He had agape love for that entire multitude. But Jesus had a smaller group of friends. In John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus said to a very select group of friends, I no longer call you my servants because servants don't know what their master's doing. Servants aren't let in on the plans of their Lord. I call you friends because friends relate about plans and purposes and things that they want to do. And he was talking to his disciples. In the ministry of the Lord Jesus, he had 70 that were his friends. That's a big group. The Lord Jesus was a real gregarious person that could relate to a lot of people. Most of us don't have the capacity to relate that well to 70 people, but Jesus did. And he can help us to do that. Then Jesus came down to 12. And Jesus had 12 intimate guys that he went all over for three and a half years, camped out with them, spent time with them. They, had, they went to, to, to celebrations together like the marriage of Cana of Galilee. Jesus had 12 guys that he just lived with, really spent time with, and they were close. They were the, the Sugar Creek gang of the Scripture, you might say, if you've ever read those books. Only these were mature men with mature relationships, but they had this deep commitment 12 disciples. And then Jesus had three. Jesus had Peter, James, and John that were an intimate circle among the 12. And then he narrowed it down to one. He had one special buddy. At the Last Supper, when they were all lying together, remember they were reclining, kind of like teenagers eat chips, watching TV, they were all reclining. Well, the one that had the honored place 
was John, the beloved disciple. And what I want you to understand is that Jesus models for us another circle of love. He had agape love for the entire world. In his earthly life, with the limitations of, of becoming a man and emptying himself of some of his divine prerogatives, not laying aside those divine prerogatives and the fact that he ceased to be God, but choosing not to exercise them, he limited in himself just like he limited himself physically so he could become tired, so that he could become weary, so that he could become depressed, so that he could get down, so that he could have an experience like Gethsemane. He also limited himself in the way that he was able to have relationships. And so he had a special relationship with the 70, with the 12, with the 3, with the 1. You need to do that. Every one of you, God has called you to have friendship love. God has called you to have friendship love. The hardest thing is for young people to have friendship love between the sexes. And it's one of the dominant things that's wrong with our society because Time Magazine says, as soon as you talk about love, what are you talking about? Sex. So as soon as a man wants to talk with a woman, wants to spend a little bit of time with her, our society automatically jumps. We're just programmed to jump to sexual relationships. And I want you to think very hard about that because it is one of the fundamental reasons why there's an epidemic of immorality. Because legitimate male-female friendship love and male-male love, legitimate male-male love, not homosexual sexual love, but a real legitimate friendship, close companionship between men and men and women and women and men and women is a blank area in our society. You ask the singles in our church. As soon as a single person is with the opposite sex, Everybody talks to them about what? Do you know the pressure that puts upon them? I mean, here they're a person that has legitimate needs. They need to be able to be close to somebody. And there's a whole orbit that Jesus himself exercised. Jesus had a very close friend. In fact, he had several really close, close friends. And their names were Mary and Martha. If you were to say, Dave, tell me who Jesus' closest female friends were, I would say Mary and Martha. He went over to their house and ate. He loved to spend time with them. They were the people that he just wanted to be with when he wanted to take a break. And yet there was no sexual relationship there. Mary Magdalene was a close friend of Jesus, and she was a woman with a horrible past. But Jesus was her friend. And I want to share something with you. Contrary to the last temptation of Jesus, Jesus didn't go through a lifetime, you know, wondering whether he's going to go in and out of bed with these women that were close to him. You see, that's the way our 19th, 20th century society has to jump to. There can't be any in-between friendship. You say, Dave, why are you stressing that so much? Because I think the key to fulfilling the command, thou shalt not commit adultery, the key to not committing fornication, the key to not having illicit desires is to have, what did I tell you the answer is? True love. That's why if you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, we have a young pastor, a young pastor that writes to Paul, and I can almost tell that what Timothy asked. He said, you know, he said, Paul, as I relate with people in the church, you know, as, as we gather together and I teach in the word of God, you know, there's some older women and there's some younger women 
and I have to wrestle with my feelings, and, and Paul realizes that Timothy can demolish his ministry in immorality. Timothy can wipe his teaching ministry out by a slip morally. And so what does Paul write? Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. In the middle of the verse, he says, Treat younger men as brothers, and then treat the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters. Now get what he says. With absolute purity. And I want you to see, he says, Treat older women like mothers, and younger women like your sisters with absolute purity. You know where our relationships between the sexes need to be in this church? You are my brothers and you are my sisters. And I want, I want to challenge every one of you as men and women, not just the teenagers, but all the way on up through. The Lord wants you to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. You need to learn to do that in your work relationships. Your society is going to call upon you to live close with the opposite sex. You're going to have to work with them. You're going to have to spend time with them. And if the only way you can think about relationships is sexually, which is what your society is screaming at you to do, you're going to be immoral. And the only answer is going to be friendship, love. You need to learn. You say, you say Dave, I'm working with this woman at work, and she has a nice figure, and, and I notice... And automatically those, those thoughts just flood me. What should I do? Is she married? Let's suppose she is. What do you do? You say, you say, dear Lord, I pray that that husband really appreciates his wife. I want to pray for him right now that he'll relate to her the way that, she, that, he, that he really should. And I want to pray that I'll never forget her rightful relationship to her husband. And Lord, this trespassing thought this stealing, thieving thought. Lord Jesus, you need to deal with it. You're not going to have an affair with someone, guys, that you think is your sister. Contrary to all the incest in our society, I think most of you still know, I recognize the problem of incest, but I also still believe that most of you still have a very strong idea as brothers what it means to have a sister. And girls, if you want to know the guy that you should marry, it's the guy that acts like a good brother. And a guy will act like a good brother all the way until he's really deep into a committed relationship. And then God will give a gift where it changes in the third kind of love, which is sexual love. But if you jump right into sexual love, you'll never find out whether you've got a brother. You'll never find out that you have a sister. You'll never find out that you've got an agape love. In being married, one of the things that just really means a lot to me, what's so sustaining, is Mary's the best sister I ever had. She's my best friend. I remember, you know, thinking about the getting relationships before I met Mary. I could have never dreamed in a million years. You know, the kind of a life the Lord wanted me to live, what he would want me to do. The Lord was so gracious, he put Mary like in a family where she had three older brothers. What a miracle. Man, she understands what it's like to be really close to men. Her closest friends growing up were her, her two older brothers, I mean, John and Frank, really close to them. And so the Lord gave me a wife that I don't have to beg to watch the Super Bowl. She begs me if it's okay, because she's really into that. I don't have to ask her about that. The Lord knows all kinds. What, what, what a neat thing to be able to work together. I never even knew it.
the Lord would want to take what we're doing like in a teaching ministry out across the United States. I couldn't do that without Mary. She's the best editor for me that I know. She's my greatest critic. She's the one that understands what I'm trying to get across. She's the one that knows what needs to be cut out. And what a joy to be friends and to be able to work together. That's a priceless gift. That's what I covet for every one of you. I covet that same kind of partnership which is reflected by many of the older couples in our church. That's what I want for you. And that kind of a relationship flows when you understand what it means to be brothers and sisters. And you enter through those doorways. And then we conclude today with what we all automatically think about it as Americans. Love equals, there is the third circle of love. Sexual relationship. And the Bible's not uptight about that. The Bible's not turning red about that. The Bible says that it's a beautiful gift from the Lord. The very first command that God gave to human beings was be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And that doesn't happen from shaking hands. In fact, incredibly, the Lord God of all of heaven and earth says that, that sex, sex is the ultimate reminder of what the bliss of eternity will be like. In other words, if you turn in the book of Hosea, which we've looked at before, but I want to remind you about the beauty of this sexual relationship, I want you to look at Hosea chapter 2. Hosea 2 does one of the most incredible things in all the word of God. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 20, all of Hosea chapter 2, verses really verses 14 and following, is all about a, a, a new marriage, a new ceremony, a new celebration of intimacy. This wife has fallen into horrible sin. She's been in and out of bed with several listed partners. But in verse 14, it says that the Lord God, he represents the husband, says that the Lord, I will allure her. I will lead her into the desert and I will speak upon her heart. The NIV translate that speaks tenderly. Husbands, you need to follow the example of your Lord. As husbands, we feel very strongly. Well, I don't need to tell her how beautiful she is. I don't need to speak. Yes, you do. Every single day, we as husbands need to be kind and speak upon our wife's heart. The Lord has built a woman for a man to speak upon her heart. One of the greatest ways, husbands, that you can protect your wife from immorality is to speak upon her heart. So please get over the inertia. Stop biting your tongue. Stop thinking it only in your mind. If you go through this day without telling your wife from the depths of your soul what you really feel with her and what she really means to you, then you're sinning against her. You're not following the example of your Lord. Very important for us to realize that. That feeds immorality. In a woman, that feeds immorality more than anything else because Satan will bring somebody into her life that does speak upon her heart. And a woman that's starved for that kind of voice is dead meat. And so much hurt can come. And so the Lord God of heaven gives us a tremendous example. He speaks, he pictures himself like a, like a courting man. And he is speaking upon her heart. And he goes on and says that he's going to give her gifts. In verse, 9, in verse 15, he says, Then I will give back her a vineyard. So he gives her all these, these different gifts. And then she responds. As we move down to verse 20, it says this, I'm going to betroth you to me in faithfulness. In other words, my married gift to you 
is going to be faithfulness. In the preceding verse, God said, I'll give you the gift of, of morals, moral purity, righteousness. I'll give you the gift of applying that standard of moral purity. I'll give you the gift of love. I'll give you the gift of compassion. I'll give you the gift of faithfulness. And then he says this, and then you will. And the NIV translated, acknowledge the Lord. But the Hebrew says this, and then you will intimately know the Lord. In fact, within the, within the imagery of Hosea, I could translate it like this, and then you will enjoy intimate intercourse with God, your ultimate lover. You know what Hosea does? Hosea pictures marital sexual love as the ultimate reminder that one day there's going to be a great day of restoration. And Hosea goes on to present an exploding earth, productivity, joy, happiness, celebration forevermore. That's the way Hosea ends in chapter 2. And it's the relationship. God pictures himself as this courting husband who finally culminates his relationship in this new marriage on his wedding night. And it uses sexual intercourse in marriage as a symbol of that ecstasy of eternity. Now, is that prudish? In fact, you know, there's some sections of an Old Testament major in the Bible. There's some sections of the Old Testament that are a little bit embarrassing to read in church on a Sunday morning. And what I want to get across to every one of you, you need to overcome illicit lust by true love. You need to enter all relationships through self-sacrificial love. Then you need to move into the smaller circle of friendship love. And then as the Lord leads you to that special brother and sister, that he has for you. And as he moves you to realize that our hearts are one in agape, we want to please God together. As you develop friendship and you learn to think together and feel together and decide together and you grow in that friendship, then it can move you to make that important decision. This is the one that God wants me to glorify him with together for all of eternity. I'm going to be married to this person. I'm going to live my life with them. And then we're going to go into the eternal kingdom and we're going to be the children of God. Marriage doesn't transcend, according to the scripture, this present life, but it is a picture of what does transcend this present life. My message is simple. Time Magazine's True Love, Biochemistry, Animal Instinct, I don't buy it. What I'm going to choose is I'm going to go with this magazine, the Divine Inspired Magazine. You can try time and you can live your modern existence. I'm going to follow the Word of God. And when we're rocking in our rocking chairs, when we're in our 70s, if the Lord gives us that much time, and we have to examine the fact that we only went around once in life, I wonder who found true love.